Guess what, Lions? For as little as $5 a month, you can get access to exclusive bonus audio content and help this program grow by joining the Lions of Liberty Pride. To learn more, head over to lionsofliberty.com slash support. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. Hello out there, everybody in Electric Liberty Land. Welcome in. Hope your liberty light is shining bright. Now, Guys, this is Electric Liberty Land, episode 33, which means you can find all the show notes at lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL33. And I do have a special guest I'm going to be bringing in in just a moment. That is Ford Fisher. You might remember him from uh, the podcast he was on with Mark talking about journalism and his documentary he was working on. So he's going to be joining me because he was actually on the ground in Charlottesville, Virginia this Saturday and saw much of the violence that went down. Now, real quick, uh, you know, just to break down for anybody that doesn't know what happened, essentially a group of alt-righters and white nationalists and white supremacists and Nazi sympathizers and neo-Nazis, all these people got together for a rally called Unite the Right. And the idea was that they were going to have a march and make some speeches. And ostensibly, this was to protect the statue of Robert E. Lee, which was due to be torn down. They wanted to uh, to make sure that their opinions were heard, that they should not tear the statue down. What ended up happening is that, predictably, a large amount of Antifa came out, Black Lives Matter, and assorted other groups from the, le- from the left, the extreme left, and presumably also some people that are not so extreme on the left that just came to protest— They clashed with the members of Unite the Right, and there was a good amount of bloodshed. There was a good amount of physical violence. However, there was one incident that really stood out, wherein a man, uh, I believe he was 21, ended up, uh, and he was a uh, sympathizer for the Unite the Right movement, and he's being labeled as a Nazi. He had a Dodge Charger. He was in an alleyway and accelerated through 20 different protesters, killing one woman who was age 32. So horrible, horrible outcome from this instance. And I'm going to be talking through that with Ford in just a second. But before I do, I do want to ask you guys to please follow us on our social media platforms at Lions of Liberty. Follow me at Brian McWilliams. You can go join our Facebook forum if you want to talk about this in real time. You can talk about the episode. Just go to Lions, type in Lions of Liberty Forum. It'll pop right up in Facebook. And if you would be so kind, please do support the Pride Guys. We appreciate all the support we get. We create special content for you. And uh, yeah, give us an iTunes review. All right. Now then, let's get into the interview with Ford. Hey, everyone. So as mentioned, I'm joined by a special guest. I'm really glad to have him on the show here, Ford Fisher from News to Share. He is a journalist that has a platform wherein other people who are looking to uh, videotape to report on on document and you know document these events that are going on can share their stories as journalists. And he was actually on the ground in Charlottesville this past weekend. Now, you can follow him not only at on Twitter at N2S Reports, but also at Ford Fisher. And if you're interested, he was on the Lions of Liberty podcast previously talking to Mark about a year ago about the bias inherent in a lot of journalism today and uh, ways in which he's fighting on his own to combat that and everything he's doing with his own project. So Ford, welcome to Electric Liberty Land and thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. I can't believe it's been a whole year. Is that really true since it's, I've been on it last time? Yeah, I think it's been about a year. I think you were on roughly in June. And I'll, and I'll link to the show notes for this, guys, too, so you can find that again. Uh, so just visit lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL33, and I'll link to that there. But yeah, I know it's time flies when you're having fun and, and getting in the middle of riots. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And the last time that I was on, it was to talk about a documentary. And it was interesting because one of the subjects in, in my documentary was um, actually a, a transhumanist church. And while I was there, one of the attendees was like, oh, you're for it. I heard you on Lions of Liberty. Ah, nice. <laughs> uh, so uh, so you have followers within the movement that I was actually on the podcast to report about. So that was pretty meta. Yeah, but, seriously. Um, <laughs> 
Anyhow, so let's talk about Charlottesville. Yeah, let's get into it. I mean, it's it's something where, you know, looking from the outside in, I, I just I want to hear your opinion. What was it like on the ground? And I know I want I have two different aspects of this I want to talk about. One is what did you see there? And specifically the media's the media's reporting has clearly been very much uh, and rightly so, because there was a man who rammed a woman and murdered her with a Dodge Charger, but has very much been against the alt-right and uh, and pinning this on the neo-Nazis in the crowd. But I want to hear what was it like on the ground? What was the division between Antifa and leftist protesters and the people that are on the right? What was the makeup of those crowds? And then later on, after we talk about that, I want to hear a little bit about your take on the media's reporting on this and how accurate you think that is. Sure, let's do it. So to to start off, I think that part of the problem, and actually this really starts to answer both questions, is that the media kind of conflates all of the various parts of the two sides. So yes, it's true that the left wing and the right wing came out to fight. And that's that's not a that's not fake news when they say that. However, it's a it's rather reductionist um, is, is, I guess, the criticism I would have of of outlets like CNN that just say, oh, well, a bunch of Nazis and a bunch of Antifa came together to fight. Mm-hmm. True. But there's more to it than that. So on the right wing, the entire premise of the rally was that it was unite the right. And so theoretically, different forms of alt-right and right wing uh, individuals would come together. So this included self-identified fascists. It included people who uh, identified with the alt-right. It included people who identified with the alt-light to some degree. And this is kind of a civic nationalists, mm-hmm. uh, individuals who identify with alt-rightism, but at the same time reject the harder kind of anti-Semitism. Um, it included Matt Heimbach's Traditionalist Workers Party, which is a national socialist or in common parlance, a Nazi political party. Um and some, uh, I guess what I would call rogue agents, um, such as uh, uh, Christopher Cantwell, who is sort of familiar to the libertarian sphere and has converted very quickly from a libertarian into a self-proclaimed fascist. Yeah, he's, he's drawing um, a lot of criticism. And again, I'd say often right criticism uh, for that and been a uh, thorn in the side to libertarians at this point in time. But please continue. <laughs> At this time, I would I would probably posit that he has almost no libertarian beliefs whatsoever. And uh, and and sometimes he brands himself as somehow being the true libertarian because he wants to only uh, not kill people who would be conducive to liberty. His philosophy is rather backwards um, in the opinions of most libertarians. But um, but but sort of setting that aside. uh, So there were certain individuals who were parts of groups. Uh, Another group that was there was Identity Europa, which is basically about uh, white or they would purport like European heritage. Um, So essentially, it was it was many people joined together by, um, oh, of course, Confederate. That was the other thing is like new neo-Confederate. Southern mm-hmm. heritage type people. Right. That's so, what I was going to ask about is if there was a, a large mood of just people that were just Southerners who said, you know, this is an attack on our culture and we're here for that moment. Now, granted, they could have done their own march and not lumped themselves in with the, the neo-Nazis and the alt-right. But I was wondering how much of that was actually there. People just saying, look, we don't want to tear down these statues because they have so much cult- sure. cultural reverence. And this is kind of like a 1984 style revisionist history where we're eliminating the things that we just didn't like of the past and pretending they didn't happen. Right. And so I've I've interviewed those sorts of people, too. Uh, On July 1st, I was uh, which is the anniversary of um, Gettysburg. Uh, I was at the Gettysburg um, Memorial where they were there were those types of people there. And and those were not the type of people populating this rally. Right. So so those sorts of um, I guess I would say conservative Southern pride, Mm -hmm. Confederate um, type people. Uh, were not really present. It was the really extreme, I guess what you would call neo-Confederate, the South will rise again, Mm -hmm. like sort of extremists is what I I guess I would um, qualify them as. But but the point is that that I'm trying to lay out is not to say that any individual one of those groups is is less bad than the other or, or or that they are somehow less complicit, but it's to point out that these political philosophies cannot be summed up by single words. Um, and so the mainstream media kind of failed in that it often used reductionist phrases. For example, um, I often heard the the media claim that the KKK was there. There were organizations that espouse views very similar and, in fact, in many cases, much more extreme mm-hmm. than the KKK. But but there were no 
um, to from what I saw, there were no people clad in um, in in clan robes. The only individual that I'm aware of who who essentially was clan related is that David Duke was there. I, di- I didn't actually see him with my own eyes, mm-hmm. but I, but I am aware that David Duke was there, who, of course, used to be an imperial wizard, which is basically like a leader within the clan. Um, well, however, there, there just, were- just on that one point is that that's something where people were positing that this is a in fact, a, a worse thing for America now that the clan, let's say, let's say there might have been clan members there, but now they're not afraid to go out with their faces showing in broad daylight. Sure. And so that was part of the entire premise of Unite the Right, is that there's all of these different groups that are essentially bound together by a theme of basically white nationalism. And all of those groups had that that single cohesive message. And the point of Unite the Right was to bring them together and empower them to come from off the Internet. Right. That that no longer is the days when the when the Nazi would know that their view is so unacceptable mm-hmm. that they are relegated to being in the dark corners of, of 4chan and Daily Stormer. Now they are they feel empowered because by numbers to go out into the streets um, uh, screaming these views in, in broad daylight. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that was sort of part of the theme of what Unite the Right was about to get them out there. Mm-hmm. Um, now, on the left wing side, uh, similarly, it, it's kind of reductionist to just call them left wingers. Right. Uh, there were many people who were um, in the sort of anti-fascist, antifa um, um style or aesthetic, I guess I would say, which is generally that they were all black, that they try to conceal their faces. Um, but there, but there's a variety of, again, ideology among them, including socialist, including anarchist. Um, and of course, I mean, left anarchist, not sort of anarcho-capitalism, right? They, yeah, weren't, of there se- <laughs> they weren't there selling bitcoins and buying, um, you know, private nukes and roads. <laughs> um, were there, were there <laughs> other groups as well? Like, you know, was Black Lives Matter present? Uh, yeah, yeah. So that was what I was going to say yeah. next, actually. Yeah. So exactly. The um, Black Lives Matter attendees, right? And although they played a similar role and were standing side by side, Antifa and Black Lives Matter are not the same thing. They can't just be reduced to just call them one homogenous group called the left, right? There, it, there's more complexity than that. Um, the other party in attendance, of course, which again had multiple subsects, was was. But although they were probably the most uniform and the most con- consistent on the street, was the militias. So there were there were private um, militias, and of course, Virginia is, is a constitutional open carry state. Um, so anyone over eighteen can carry a gun without a license. Um, and so they were able to, those individuals were essentially trying to keep the peace. They were not participants in either side, um, as it was described to me, uh, uh, by one individual when I asked, what, what are you guys, um, doing here? He said, standing in walls mostly. Mm -hmm. Um, that's that's interesting because I, and again, getting to, I'm skipping ahead a little bit and I don't want to go too far, but that's surprising. And I want to circle back on this later because it seems like to me that that would be something that was was probably lumped in as they are with the neo Nazi group, or they are with yeah, the alt right so, because they're because they're bearing guns in public and they're probably majority white. Um, while it is true that they are majority white, they they were not exclusively white. Whereas the Unite the Right rally, I I've been told that there were non white people in attendance. I didn't see that. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I did but I did see um black uh, militiamen, um. With re- with respect to what they were actually doing, uh, there is a misconception, um, partially uh, advanced by by organizations like the SPLC, that the and and that's not to in any way denounce their their work. What they do is is you know important for a lot of reasons, but um, like a, a, a common theme that that was claimed by people on the left is that the militias are there to defend the right wing from the left wing. Mm-hmm. Um, they were there basically as a human wall and the direction at, uh, all with basically large, large um, long guns and then and then generally a sidearm and like a med kit would be like a normal um, uh, set of stuff on one of these guys. And they were kind of alternating which direction they were facing. Right. They, they were they were pretty symmetrical in formation. They weren't really guarding one side or another when the right wingers would try to talk to them. They um 
wouldn't they they wouldn't respond they would they were saying we're not with you we're not with them mm-hmm. we're here to try to keep the peace we're here to try to keep the structure and the police gave them the room to do that and it was even confirmed by the Virginia governor later he actually used the words that they had better guns than the police did right yeah and, which I'm not surprised by but I wonder is it in your opinion was it would this have been infinitely worse with not if not for the militiamen? Because the, some of the reports I had heard from different sources said that, you know, like the ACLU had confirmed that the police were essentially told to stand down and yes. and let a lot of these things, a lot of these occurrences happen. They weren't blocking the streets. They weren't really assisting in any way. Unequivocally, yes. If the if the militia wasn't there, injuries would not would, many injuries would have gone untreated by anyone qualified to handle them. Um, many, much of the violence would have occurred more severely or more quickly. Uh, the police never put themselves between the two sides. Mm-hmm. Um, however, the police pushed the two sides together into each other, and that was about the most active thing they did to tactically change the situation. Wonderful, yeah. And of Great course, job, made it. <laughs> it made it much worse. The the militia actually put themselves between the two sides and were and were heavily armed. So so very few people would attempt to physically confront them or go through them. Um, there weren't enough of them. That I mean, essentially, if if the if there were thousands of militiamen, then then the city would have essentially been safe, even if aesthetically it would have been scary because it would look like we live in a <laughs> in a private like police state of some kind. Yeah. Um, uh, it would have basically been a whole lot safer of a situation, but they they were spread out because they because they had to be. There weren't that that many of them. Well, how much um, violence did you see going on between the two sides during this this day you were there? Well, if you if you go to the News to Share Facebook page, I have pinned to the top of it my sort of HD video of of the violence that happened that morning. And uh, all told, I mean, basically it's just raw cut through of, of like brawl footage, and it's it's seven minutes long. Um, and that's cut together throughout the from throughout the day. Um, the violence was off and on, but um, extreme all out brawling, I guess I would say there there were there were several minutes of dispersed throughout several different occasions. Um, but pretty much all of the time, there were sort of tense situations and conflicts of throwing water bottles across and things like that. Mm-hmm. Again, the the moments when it was safe, more or less. Uh, for individuals was when the right wingers were in their permitted rally and the left wingers were um, out around the rally where they were supposed to be counter protesting. And that's fine. The right wingers can can give their speeches and the left wingers can stand there and scream at them. And and that's what democracy is. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the problem is that it's not like the right wingers could just be airdropped out of the sky onto Lee Park. They had to walk through the left wingers to get there. And so the violence essentially would happen as that was was going on. So, for example, I, I knew that Richard Spencer was very likely to be attacked because it's become a sort of national sport for Antifa to punch him in the face. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, punch a Nazi. And, yeah, exactly. Right. Punch a Nazi. This is well, the entire debate about punching a Nazi came from this one dude. So when I saw him, I'm like, oh, he's going to get he's going to get something. So I, I followed him from over his shoulder as he was um, entering the park. And in fact, Antifa, rather than punching him in the face, um, which would have been uh, a lot better for me uh, because I wouldn't have gotten hurt. They they ended up trying to to basically mace him, and the spray got into my eyes instead of his mm. and and one uh, member of Identity Europa. So did he send you a card was, like a thank you or a get yeah, flower basket? <laughs> no, and in fact, ye- yesterday he sent me on a wild goose chase essentially because he I'm mean, getting way ahead of myself, but he held a press conference yesterday and he and basically he spread misinformation about where it would be so that. That the Antifa wouldn't find him. Um, but um, I had gotten a private tip about where it was supposed to be. That place canceled. And then mm-hmm. he never followed up with the person who gave me the information. Long, long story short, no, he hasn't sent me a thank you card and he screwed me over in other ways <laughs> uh, in terms of being able to cover his events. Um, anyway, with with all of that aside, um, so it was situations like that where where Antifa would sort of face off with them as they were entering the park. And then eventually that violence got so out of hand that the the left wing actually started overtaking the park um, uh, to the point where they were able to take down the barricades. Police declared it an unlawful rally before it even got to the time that they were permitted for. So would you say that the left uh, left side outnumbered the right rally then by pretty, uh, pretty large amount? Well, so this is what's difficult about it. It's notoriously difficult to to guess how many people are at uh, are in attendance at something. It's really hard to get. Yeah, a high- you're right in the middle of it. But, yeah, for sure. 
Um, loosely, it's easy. It's a little easier to say that the number of, of right wingers was probably about 500. And it's and the reason I say it's easier is because they're in one spot, more mm-hmm. or less, um, or at least trying to be. They were either there or they were trying to get there on the left. It's a lot harder to determine because many of them were bystanders. Right. So if you have, say, a. Um, a, a, a normal person who lives in the city who opposes the right wing and brings a bunch of water bottles to give to the left wing protesters. Is that guy a protester? You know, so right. um, and the, the only reason I say that it's a rhetorical question, but the only reason I say that is because it's it's a lot more. It was with the left wingers. It was a lot more nuanced as to whether you would call them a participant or not sort of in the fighting or in the stuff. Broadly speaking, I would say that the right had more concentration of violence. That is to say, the percentage of right wingers who fought somebody is probably astronomically higher than the left. But the left had vastly more people. So I would say there's probably four to one. um, Interesting. uh, I mean, that's that's a very different left. That's that's a different dynamic than a lot of the other rallies we've seen then, which is, you know, you'd see typical, at least from uh, the ones I've seen with the Berkeley examples, you'd see a lot of more peaceful Trump protests or Trump uh, rallies in support. And then you'd have more people attacking from the left, from the Antifa side. But it seems like now, and this is what I've been, I've been seeing a lot more of. And I, and I'm really worried about is because of, you know, when one side gets radicalized, the other side gets more radicalized. And now they're both coming essentially to fight Um, more, more so on the right, because they know that I think they're putting themselves out there with a specific act that they know is going to piss people off. So yeah, I guess it's not it's not surprising to me to hear that that they came and they're basically expecting to fight. So, you know, I guess they're now going to be throwing the first punch, which uh, again, I can't support nor should anybody, but um it's not surprising considering the back and forth that's been going on. Yes, uh so that's basically true. Like I said, of the the actual fights probably ended up about even fisted because despite there being more left wingers, there were there was a, probably a smaller percentage of them that came kind of prepared for war. Right. Um, when people have asked me who started it, that's a ridiculously complicated question because it was individual skirmishes. So, and the reality is, when you have two groups that come together to both fight. And they look at each other and and scream like shields up and they're like and then they run at each other together. This isn't a situation where you can just apply, for example, the non-aggression principle nearly as simply as you want to. Right. You can have a conversation when there's a street mugging and someone shoots somebody in self-defense about, oh, well, was that a proper like what? It's so much easier when it comes to like two groups of 200 people running at each other and then and then fighting and pepper spraying and all that kind of stuff. uh, Questions about who started it, who initiated force become all almost impossible to answer right it's like at that point you're essentially just you're both in fear for your safety so you're just you're 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 Basic fallback tactic in that position is typically aggression. I mean, surprising for a lot of people when there's a fight or flight reaction, especially when you're surrounded by so much adrenaline and so many other people that are that are there for one cause. Typically, you are probably going to respond with aggression rather than uh, (laughs) clear thinking or retreat. Yeah, absolutely. And so um, with with the among the right wing, I had one shot of this kid who had uh, sort of blood all over his face and he was wearing like a bicycle helmet and he, he was one of the, the uh, he was on the Nazi side and there's this just brutal brawl happening kind of five layers of people ahead of him and he's standing there and he's got like just a shield and like and the way that the fight is kind of expanding people in front of him are like running into it he looks so defeated and sweaty and bloody and he's looking at this thing like what the hell did i get myself into yeah um and well, I, hopefully I think a lot that, of people come away for that mindset i mean i i think that that's the mindset of a lot of them but for some of them man this was a this was a sport right so if you watched um my my conversation with with Christopher Cantwell um or if you watched the Vice documentary that came out about it ex- very quickly and and with a very high production value mm-hmm. um right he he was soaking it up right yeah. uh he loves nothing more than right his whole thing is physical removal of of communists and and that's literally like what he was trying to do is was was just go there to to fight people so mm. Well, let's um, talk a with, little bit about because uh, I want to hear your take about the the incident that everybody's talking about sure, is this you know this kid hitting the you know running over the woman with the Dodge Charger. To me, and I and I, I heard a little bit of an interview you did with the Boston Herald on their uh, their radio station earlier, I believe. Um, yeah. I wanted to know from your standpoint how much did you see, 
And it was there. Is this a, you know, did you see any sort of violence against his car? Because there's videos that are saying, oh, well, his car was hit, which seems to still not excuse uh, the guy being that close to begin with or accelerating to a, cl- a crowd. But give me your take on that and, and you know, the surrounding incidents leading up to it as best you could figure or or glean from that environment. Well, so so first and foremost, I didn't. um I didn't I, I wasn't there when he hit them. I, I was around the corner and I heard it happen. And and then I heard people screaming and stuff and I, and I ran toward it um, and it was absolutely chaotic and insane. But I didn't um, uh, uh, I didn't see didn't the actual on moment it, right. of the crash. Gotcha. So so I can't. Um, talk other than what I've seen in photos about whether they were hitting the car or not. Because when I went over there, they they were screaming how basically a Nazi, as they were calling him, had had aggressed on them by hitting them. They weren't saying we hit him, so he hit us, but nor would they. Um, so I'm waiting to see if there is more footage that comes out and mm-hmm. things like that to, to make a determination as to whether his car was being aggressed upon. However, as as you pointed out, him killing somebody and injuring 19 people and more could have died um, is not justified necessarily on the basis of him being attacked, right? There's a proportionality question in which, right, he, he may testify that somebody said, I'm, I'm going to shoot you and then pointed a gun at him. I, I don't know whether anything like that occurred. In fact, I'm quite sure that it didn't. But absent his testimony and absent more video of it and things like that. At this point, I think it's inappropriate to make a determination about what was going on. With that said, I think it's pretty easy to say that that however he felt it was a cowardly act mm-hmm. um, in terms of exact guilt and how we define it. Was it murder? Was it manslaughter, et cetera? He's charged with second degree murder and fleeing the scene of a of a um, car accident resulting in death. But um it's I think it's very possible that he'll plead down from that. Yeah. Um, I mean, to me, it's like I saw one video in particular, which was shot from behind. And it looked like, you know, he pulled up, he got close and then he accelerated through the crowd. And all I could you know, all I'm thinking is maybe he'll get off. Maybe he could use this. You know, there was violence against the car and that scared him, which is an understandable reaction. But again, he put himself in a position wherein he was right up against the protesters. He could have gone a different direction. He could have backed out. He could have done many other things, which brings into question his motivations for me. Yes. And, and and indeed, it's it's a little bit harder to make a self-defense claim when you speed up so fast yeah. that you smash the car in front of you, totaling your car. Right. Is that is it self-defensive to total your own car and 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 hit that car so fast that it hits the car in front of it? Right. Right. Um, so the so the the degree of of violence and, and how fast he did. Right. It's one thing to right. You can make a debate about whether somebody is justified if they're scared in that situation to sort of slowly drive through them, which forces them to get out of the way. Right. But but to but to but to floor the accelerator and then go in reverse to speed away from it and try to escape is is clearly um, a, a more extreme reaction than than could than could be justified in the absence of more information. And what was the reaction of the people after this happened? Like you said, you came around the corner, so you caught the aftermath. Was it a mixture? Yeah. I mean, was it just they they were protesters trying to help other protesters? Was it a mix of people that were there that were just in shock yeah. and and their humanity took over in any way, shape, or form? Where they just said, "Oh my God." Let's just help whoever needs help. I mean, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So the thing was, there were very there were no police there initially when it happened. They were screaming for the police to to catch the car and for people to come. They were they were screaming medic. Many of them were crying. Um, eventually, people. The the problem was that so many people were injured that it's not like medics could apply first aid to everybody. So that they were not um, uh, helping. J- they, they were not focusing all of their attention on the one woman who did die. They were also focusing on head, head injuries and smaller uh, 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 injuries and not that there's anything wrong with them doing that. But but it's just a reality that that they with so many people injured, they couldn't identify where the most extreme and life threatening ones were. Mm-hmm. Um whether it would have even been possible to save her had immediate and professional life support taken place. I, I don't even know whether it would have uh, worked if there was anything that could be done. Um all of that said, um, he uh, he left behind sort of this this trail of 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 blood of people who were hurt and everybody was crying and upset. And it took a while for police and EMS to show up and start administering first aid. Um, eventually, the uh, people on EMS were um, doing uh, CPR on her. And after trying for several minutes, they had they had 
very obviously given up mm. um, and they didn't say anything to the crowd. But but we all knew and everyone, including myself on my live stream, was was crying because, I mean, we had just watched somebody die. Um, and so it was re- I mean, it was really upsetting and it was really traumatizing uh, for people there. And it was an hour later that it was confirmed that she was dead. Um, was it something this- you know, like I said, is it was it could you tell who was you know, when you're when you're there, you're surrounded by people. Clearly, there's a crowd of people around this incident as everybody, it, despite the uh-huh. fear, people still want to see what happened. And that's what I'm wondering was, is it did at any point did people come together and just, you know, was everyone crying? Were there people there from the right that were that were in that circle that showed any compassion for this woman or for any of these people that got moved? The, the right wing wasn't really there. So, um okay. It was it was basically the left wingers and then that driver and and some kind of bystanders. But the the right wing wasn't really present, um, which is sort of thankful because it probably could have been a distraction yeah. um, uh, for for them in, in terms of administering ER. It was good that the the people who were there were basically compliant with the with the needs of. Uh, eventually, the police showed up. They they sent in um, national guardsmen type people. They sent finally they sent in heavily armed guys to try to get everybody away from the injured. And they, and they sent in a, um, like an MRAP type vehicle with a, um, man with a grenade launcher at the top of it, hmm. um, ostensibly to, uh, and, and it was, it was to block off the, the road, right? Because this, this attack had just occurred. And of course we've been seeing around the world that, that, um, not, not that anybody thought that this was an Islamic terror attack, but, but a style or a, a, a use of, of by ISIS and other Islamic terror groups has been to use cars as weapons lately. Right. So absent more information, it wasn't unreasonable to think that there could be a second attack. Um, so they, they were blo- they were using um, heavily armored vehicles to, to block off the roadway so that that couldn't um, happen again as as we are standing there. Well, it's just, I mean, um, clearly, it's a horrible, horrible outcome uh, to a circumstance where and this is where I want to talk a little bit about the, the media. And I know you've got to go uh, just. Two sure. minutes. What's your take on the media coverage of this event? What are you seeing? Are they portraying it accurately? Are they telling one side of the story and not the other side of the story? Are they are they, you know, painting with a wide brush uh, that this is purely the Nazis fault or are they telling the story where you think it's at least somewhat fair? The problem is that almost nothing that I've seen in the media is actually wrong. Um they, it's just overly simplistic. I guess I would say that the the only thing that I've seen CNN, for example, say that that is essentially straight up false is is that the Ku Klux Klan was was present. Right? No, no people were stylized as the Klan. Mm-hmm. It was other groups with similar values, but but not specifically the Klan. Um, set, setting that that one precise thing aside, I guess the problem is that everything was really reduced into it's a white nationalist rally or it's an alt-right rally, whatever the terminology people use. The problem is they don't actually like listen to what the um, arguments are. And, and even if the arguments are wrong and even if the arguments are evil, as the case may be, um, it still is worth understanding what the people represent so so that one can fairly debate them right when when you when so the problem is that you lose you end the the media has ended up on a completely different wavelength from everybody else and so you look at um uh trump who is saying they weren't all neo-nazis there were other type of people there and stuff and the media is saying, well, th- this was this was a, an extremist rally, and right, they're on completely different wavelengths. Mm-hmm. But you know what? The guys who are at Unite the Right think that Trump is right because Trump is is essentially saying that there's nuance to what was going on there, and they agree with that. And they look at CNN, who's calling all of them the same thing. Right. And even if they're different types, different flavors of extremism. Um, and not and not just that one ideology or their more specific whatever it is, um, they now align themselves more with Trump. They feel empowered by Trump. Um, if the media would actually show what they specifically stand for, would show the difference between a white nationalist and a national socialist and mm-hmm. and identity Europa guys and all of these groups uh, certainly can be exposed for for the bigotry. But um, but to simply reduce their values down into one kind of homogenous thing, um, I think dis- 
isn't giving enough America enough credit to understand where these things are coming from. I think if you don't get where they come from, you're you're not going to be able to sort of combat them in any way. And in, and in a sense, that's where the entire alt right came from. Right. The, a claim that I heard endlessly was that. Well, they all said that conservatives are Nazis, so let's be Nazis. Mm-hmm. They all said that that Republicans are fascists, so let's be fascists. Or they all they all said that we're race that that Mitt Romney is racist. Um, you know, so I'm gonna so so now I'm racist. I right? actually made that exact uh, point <laughs> again. Facebook and social media. I made uh, I made sure. the conscious mistake, and I'll talk a little bit more about this uh, later in the show after I, I let you go. But uh, I made that same argument in that. What the left doesn't seem to understand or what the media or people in general don't seem to understand about these people is that you've got a segment of the population which clearly feels maligned. And that is white America or let's say probably mostly white men in America. Now, not all of us. uh, I'm white. You're white. But a lot of the white men out there, they voted for Trump because they clearly felt that they've been overlooked, that they've been blamed uh, unfairly that all the evils of the world were being uh, laid on their doorstep. And as you just mentioned, there are some people who the more that they get blamed for this or the more that they called it a Nazi for expressing a belief or questioning the narrative and saying, well, I don't feel that I am responsible or, or I don't feel white privilege is that big of an issue. They're immediately dismissed, immediately called a racist or a bigot or a sexist or a Nazi, which has been the, the phrase du jour. And I made that same point that these people are going to be encouraged by this. They're going to, you're, you're putting them in a more extreme position. And every day that you label them as such and you try to malign them further, they're being pushed into that world farther. And they don't seem to understand that because there's no dialogue. There's no interaction. It's purely one way. Uh, you're irrelevant or you're racist and that's it. Right. And so, um, I think that that's exactly why people need to actually look at these individuals and say, you know, what group are you and what do you represent? Not because you need to give them a platform, but because we need to actually get what they are, what they believe in order to uh, be able to say uh, this is how one adequately debates it. And and that exact lack of discourse is why there were essentially two sides uh, uh, beating each other senseless on the streets. Yep, exactly right. Well, Ford, I know uh, you had to, to cut time out of your day to join me here, and I truly, truly appreciate it. Again, guys, check out on Twitter at N2S Reports. News to share. Ford Fisher, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you for having me. And if I may make one more point, there was oh, something please. that I told uh, Luke Radowski on right after I had seen the killing. And to people who don't know Luke, he's uh, we are change. Uh, he's he's a relatively notable kind of streamer, reporter, et cetera, in the independent media. Um, the point that I made to him that I that I kind of want to share with people is that uh, this violence doesn't have doesn't seem to have any real world effect. So if if some listener is out there wondering, should I get out there on the street and beat the crap out of my political opponent, right, to the to the right wing, to the alt-right, to the conservative, if they are, if for some reason a normal conservative is interested in this, I, I would ask you the question, do you really feel like you're going to defeat leftist government by beating up a leftist on the street? And to the anti-fascists, who, when they attack people, it encourages more of a police response, um, Whereas those exact police are the ones that they believe are purport are doing the fascism to the anti-fascist. Do you believe that beating up the the fascist is going to subvert fascism in the country? So I ask both sides who are becoming more similar to each other in tactic. The right wing has talked a lot about the reason that they did this was to was to build the trust Um, that left-wingers have because they see themselves on the street. The right-wing is coming out from the internet and meeting each other on the street, and that's a very provocative situation when now you have both of them doing that. Um, So I ask to both sides, uh, do you actually feel like your fight is going to have any effect on real-world outcome? Do you think if the left and the right fight each other on the street that the victor is going to have their form of governance? we live in a democracy or perhaps an oligarchy or perhaps something else, depending on your particular point of view. But what we don't live in is this sort of brutalist society where you vote by by your fist. Um, so I, I would I would say that if you have an ideology that you want to sort of share with the world, 
Um, even if you're not going to succeed, no matter what, in getting it in, right? So if you believe in revolutionary Leninism, sorry, probably not going to happen in America. But you're going to do a lot less damage if if you don't use violence to try to get there. There you go. Agreed completely, man. Agreed completely. Well, guys, again, thank you to Ford Fisher. I'm going to take a break, a little word from our sponsor, and we'll be right back. Three, two, one. Hey, folks, I'm Remso W. Martinez, the host of the one, the only Remso Republic podcast. Now, I know what you're thinking. I know exactly what you're thinking, to be exact. This is a pitch for another show. I already listened to too many. But hey, I've got news for you. Each and every Wednesday, you can escape the mindless entertainment and loud political pundits by escaping to the place which truly is the clash of punk rock and politics, the Remso Republic. From comedians to politicians to real-life superheroes and liberty activists, we don't stick to normal often as we hard charge each and every week to bring you the freshest entertainment and news in an ocean of shows fighting for your attention. We're on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, and many more platforms. Don't miss out. Join the fun and be awesome. Stay up to date with the latest news and updates by visiting remzorepublic.com. I've condemned many different groups, but not all of those people were neo-Nazis, believe me. Not all of those people were white supremacists by any stretch. Those people were also there because they wanted to protest the taking down of a statue, Robert E. Lee. So, excuse me, and you take a look at some of the groups and you see, and you know it if you were honest reporters, which in many cases you're not, but many of those people were there to protest the taking down of the statue of Robert E. Lee. So, this week it's Robert E. Lee. I notice that Stonewall Jackson's coming down. I wonder, is it George Washington next week? And is it Thomas Jefferson the week after? You know, you you really do have to ask yourself, where does it stop? So that was the speech or part of the speech that Donald Trump gave this just yesterday. So this was Tuesday. He gave the speech finally coming out. Now, he did come out earlier on uh, Monday and condemned white supremacists, condemned the KKK, condemned uh, neo-Nazi groups, etc. But Trump was widely roasted for not saying anything earlier. And as you can see here, he still is not willing to blanket condemn every person that was at that march and say that they were a Nazi or a white supremacist. Now, if you've been looking at your social medias, you know that that didn't go over too well. You know that people all over, and again, I live in liberal Los Angeles, people all over have already said, well, you know what? Everybody at that rally was a Nazi. Everybody there should just be uh, fired out of cannon. They should be punched in the face. You know, I've got people literally just calling for these things over and over again on social media. Again, saying that extreme violence is how you should meet extreme violence, which is ridiculous. As Ford said at the end of that interview, there's no reasonable excuse to be violent. Violence is met with more violence, and all it does is escalate the situation farther and farther and farther. No one's idea is so heinous that you should meet it with immediate violence before discussing it or before trying to figure out their point of view. I mean, literally, the only time somebody could say something to me and not do something would be if they were holding a gun to my head and they said, I'm going to shoot you, in which case... Yes, violence is warranted. Now, I have an issue overall, and I've, given, I've been getting in a lot of fights on Facebook. Uh, not a lot. I've gotten one giant fight because much like Donald Trump did here, and I didn't even, uh, admittedly, I didn't listen to that part of his speech where he was specifically citing that, you know, you can't uh, blanket label these people. But you heard one of the reporters pipe up, but they're all white nationalists. Now, I've gotten in a fight with people because I feel that you can't say as a whole either that white nationalism is a racist movement. And I made this point again, going going back and forth. There's a friend out here, very funny, very funny comedian friend of mine, um, very liberal friend of mine, but she is very funny. I encourage you guys follow her on Twitter, but do not uh, go after her and uh, and give her shit, please, because she is a friend of mine. But Samantha Hale, very funny girl. And she had posted basically saying, Hey, Trump voters, if you voted for Trump, what do you think of what's happening now? And I took this for right or for wrong. 
The way I had interpreted that was her saying to Trump voters, well, hey, Trump voters, how do you feel now that basically you've uh, you've condoned Nazism rising up and and being in the in the streets? Now, my response to this was a very tactful response. Again, I know the hornet's nest that I'm sticking my hand in by engaging with anyone, virtually anybody on social media. But holy shit, the vitriol that came back my way was, I guess, I shouldn't even say it was unexpected. It was exactly what I would expect from the worst of humanity to do. Like the worst of the left's response. And my friend Samantha did not do that. You know, she said, oh, I didn't mean to post i was simply i was legitimately asking trump voters what they were thinking right now and i said okay well i'm sorry i didn't i misinterpreted because she had in the past by the way posted something saying like if you voted if you vote for trump uh don't you know unfriend me right now so i know she was not a trump supporter and again i'm uh i am a little shit stir and i play devil's advocate and i'm a libertarian so we are at at our worst still defenders of people uh that we might not agree with And I can tell you, I'll read you what I said, and I can tell you I was immediately, immediately called a Nazi sympathizer and a Nazi defender for this statement. Here is the exact statement that I made. I didn't vote for Trump, but you were framing the argument in a manner that wholly ignores what's been done by the media, the Antifa groups, politicians, etc., that stokes the flames. Uh, And this is in reference to white nationalism. The attack on quote-unquote white people from all directions has been as much to blame or more than Trump's coming into office, and I would argue is a large part of how he got there. Most of those people aren't Nazis. Nazis don't spring up overnight, and most people aren't secret Nazis. What does grow over time, though, is resentment towards being blamed, labeled, and ignored, which is what a large segment of white America feels. This isn't some crazy thought out of left field. It's basic human reaction. Were there Nazi-slash-white supremacists at the rally? Doubtless. Do they make up a majority? Of course not. Does any rational person actually think that Nazis are suddenly going to rise up and take over? Of course not. But you can't blame, quote unquote, Trump voters for the current state of America. That blame is on both sides. And the only reason people don't see it is because of their extreme biases and preferences for reading slash friending or unfriending those who they agree with and only those who they agree with. The complete disappearance of any rational dialogue that's been replaced with one-sided screaming and hyperbole only makes things worse. Now, again, I am simply pointing out the fact that there is much blame to go around for the extremism, and that blame can be placed on both sides, and also the point that it's not out of the realm of possibility that these people, this white nationalism, which is which is now coming up and coming out of the shadows, is in return for all of the policies, all of the media treatment. Again, conservatives try to have a rally for Trump and have a, a speaker speak, like Milo Yiannopoulos, speak, and they're attacked by leftists. That extreme response elicits another extreme response, and it forces people to find other people that are going to respond in the way that they want to respond volatilely when they say, well, I've got to, I'm being attacked. I need to ally myself with somebody, even if I don't completely agree with that person. But then what happens? You get sucked farther and farther in. And this is something that is not unusual to see. And we've seen it play out time and time again. So, when you talk about white nationalism, though, and, and I talked a little bit about this in, in uh, later on in this post, again, as I'm being called a Nazi sympathizer, called a Nazi for the first time in my life without it being a joke. You know, again, just expressing the fact that white nationalism is not as a whole racist. It is uh, the sentiment of, OK, we're white. We want an identity. We are uh, we want to have our own sphere of influence. This is like the alt right are I would say they are white nationalists. That doesn't mean that everyone on the alt-right is a white supremacist, necessarily. I guarantee some of them are. But as a whole, when you look at the culture of identity politics that's played out in America, where you've got Black Lives Matter uh, marching all the time, where you've got the uh, Anti-Defamation League, and you've got uh, APAC, and you've got all these Jewish organizations pushing for a cultural identity for people of Jewish heritage, that are constantly fighting for the rights of that culture. When you've got all these different groups that are fighting for Hispanic and immigration rights, and these people that are here, that have been here for a long time, that are in the middle of the country, 
that feel like they've been economically overlooked. They feel like they've been politically overlooked. They feel like their voices are not being heard, as I mentioned to Ford. They feel like all of these things are being lumped on them, and they're being told that they are no good, that they're sons of bitches, that nothing that, they, that they're doing is contributing to America, and that they're the evil that exists in America, and that they have to roll over and give anybody of color exactly what they want. How do people not understand that that is going to create a segment of the population that's going to say, we have to protect white culture? I, I, I mean, I don't understand how people can't wrap their heads around that. It seems incredibly obvious, but they don't want to accept that fact. They don't want to accept that people are going to feel threatened by that. Especially when you had one culture that's been the dominant culture in a very successful country that now has is being told, no, 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 Ned, we're doing it totally different now. And you're the reason why everything sucks, even though everything's actually pretty great. <laughs> I mean, look, let's be honest with ourselves. Everything is pretty damn great right now. Um, you know what? The economy's doing well. People in general aren't doing uh, doing badly. We've pulled people out of poverty. The poverty level, as of now, is a million times over the world poverty level. Our poorest people are the top 1% of most of the country, or most of the world. But you've got these people saying that, that, that white people are evil, and if they dare to say, hey, I have a problem with this, I, I think that we've done enough for this certain segment, I think that you should you should stop taking from white people, then they're labeled as racists. They're labeled as bigots, and they're told that their opinions do not matter. Because that's all this is. When you label somebody as a Nazi, it's simply saying your opinion doesn't matter. I saw it today on this Facebook feed. One guy literally goes, oh, get this Nazi sympathizing, sympathizing piece of shit out of here. And that was, oh, he said blocking. I'm going to block this Nazi sympathizing piece of shit. What an adult way to respond to somebody that's trying to simply have a dialogue to provide an alternate opinion of what's happening and to say simply, you guys can't just call everybody Nazis and then justify violence. Now, nobody on here was justifying violence against them. I will say that. That didn't happen in this, in this dialogue. But you do see ongoing memes constantly of people justifying violence against the right. And I'm sorry, your violent extremism doesn't get justified just because you happen to agree with it. That's bullshit. Now, the media reaction to all this is predictable. They are clearly, I mean, they do have a good reason to blame the right in the instance of this kid with the Dodge Charger. His name was uh, Fine. He killed a woman. He injured 19 people badly. But they do ignore the buildup to this. And this is what I had mentioned in this Facebook post. To ignore everything that's led to this point is disingenuous. You can't just say, well, this is the fault of the neo-Nazi and, uh, and it's their fault all alone. When you've got a group of people that are constantly pushing against culture that are trying to rip all these statues down. Of course, people are going to be upset by that, especially when those people are in the majority in the places you're trying to take the statues down. And I agree, like later, in, you know, you heard in Trump's speech, where do you draw the line with these statues? There, you know, President Lincoln is on record saying that he would side with the white man as the the, the supreme uh, as being you know staying in the superior role in America. So are we going to tear his statue down? Are you going to tear Washington? You, I mean these are legitimate questions. The media is mocking him and saying, "Well, he just he just uh, compared Robert E. Lee to George Washington. <laughs> what an idiot." But he's not wrong. I mean, he's not wrong. I can understand in certain circumstances wanting to take down something where you say, okay, that's, that is like, if you've got something that's like about lynching and it's just horrible, take it down. But at the same time, you can't say that something didn't happen and rip it down and then pretend, okay, now it's all good. We're going to rewrite history. That doesn't work. The culture needs those reminders to evolve. Looking at those things and saying, can you believe that time? Can you believe that thing existed? Can you believe that people were treated in this manner, that we thought those things is important as a reminder so they don't happen again? All of these people saying you cannot march, that people that hate speech should be shut down, that these Nazis should not be allowed to march, that these, they shouldn't be allowed to speak, that they shouldn't be allowed to assemble, they don't understand that what is not, <laughs> what is not condoned today, what is considered hate speech today might be completely acceptable later on. 
I mean, that worm turns quickly. You know, what, what these people are saying, they feel like, oh, well, you know what? We're going to outlaw it and it's never, it's going to be all, all cotton candy and whispers in the ear and unicorn kisses from here to the end of time. But that's not the way history plays out. That's not the way the real world works because opinions change over time. Circumstances change over time. The people calling for abolishing slavery back in the day, do you don't think the people in power would have shut them up if they had the ability If it wasn't constitutionally protected, you don't think the people that were powerful slave owners, the people that were in control of the politics, wouldn't have said, you're no longer allowed to speak about this topic? You're no longer allowed to congregate or meet to discuss this topic? It doesn't take a genius to figure that out. Figure out that as soon as you start limiting free speech, it's going to be turned against you. And that... The ideals of today may not be the ideals of tomorrow, but trying to get progressives to understand that it's like smashing your head against a wall over and over and over again. Okay, well, that's all on this topic, guys. I want to talk about a couple other quick things, and then I'm going to wrap this episode up. First thing comes all the way from Norway, from our Pride member, our Lions Guard member, Chris Osborne. Thank you, Chris, for sending this my way. I'll do this. This is just a quickie because I need to share this because it's so absurd. Long story short, there was a guy who owned a landscaping business. And the post office regionally in, uh, in the sound where, where Chris's family's from back in the U.S., he owned a landscaping business and the post office is all beat to hell. Looks awful. It's overgrown. There's an island there that's just grotesque right next to it. So he goes in, he takes his time, he digs it up, spends money and time to put flowers in to beautify the island and make it look nice for all the people that are there. And what happens? He gets a, he gets a call later and uh, the city tells him that he's got to take all that stuff out of there. Because, you know, God forbid... Anybody does something kind and nice. Because, you know, they probably had a union contract with somebody and the uh, the Teamster drove by and he said, hey, what is this? You know, we got the contract for this uh, this post office grass right here. You can't just you can't just have someone come in and put flowers there. So they're trying to make the kid go in, tear it all out at expense of himself. He's got to hire his crew to do it. He's got to go and, uh, you know, forget all the money he spent on the flowers. It just is it. It greatly illustrates the problem with, again, it just, it's not even the tragedy of the commons. It's a shared space, but it's owned by the government. But again, to go in and say, you know what? I know you made this better, but get in here and make it crappier because it wasn't made better on under our purview. You know, the greater good, the government always talks about the greater good. But when you actually do something for the greater good at no cost or at great cost to yourself, but I say, but at no benefit to yourself other than to try to look out and benefit your neighbors, what do they do? They tell you they get lost. <laughs> All right. Last thing I want to talk about here, guys, is virtue signaling. It's going to tie in a little bit with the Trump stuff I just talked about. And I want to talk about and reference an article by John Ziegler, who's a friend of the podcast. He came on and talked about the Jerry Sandusky scandal with John Odermatt on Felony Friday several times. So do check that out. But Sandusky, or I'm sorry, Sandusky, Ziegler wrote an article for Mediaite, which is Media. ITE.com, and I'll link to this in the uh, show notes, but basically saying all the virtue signaling over Charlottesville is setting dangerous precedents. And what he talks about is getting into people trying to quash free speech that are trying to blame people en masse, as I was talking about, and say that everybody at this rally was a Nazi. And he cites articles where people had lost their jobs for attending the rally when, as you know, we don't know what their motivations are. You don't know if they're a Nazi or not. And you know, to reference this Facebook conversation earlier, that's what I said earlier in this conversation too. I said, I don't, I'm not a Nazi sympathizer or defending of anything because I don't know who a Nazi is. I don't know any of these people. I'm not defending or not defending anybody. I'm defending in mass people's right to, to, uh, to go out and march or go and, and be somewhere in general and have free speech. So Ziegler's saying the same thing. And he cites some of these virtue signals from politicians. He's citing it from celebrities. He cites, you know, like Stephen Colbert and Jimmy Fallon are smashing Trump for not you know, condemning people early enough. But again, there's blame on both sides of this. To say that Trump needs to come out and just blame neo-Nazis for what happened is ridiculous. And John's talking about this. And he talks about this one celebrity, uh, you know, Lord. La, 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 my name is Lord, if you watch South Park. But he cites Lord. Lord tweeted that we need to blame all white people. 
That's what we have to blame. All white people are responsible. So again, she's just, <laughs> she's just saying the exact thing that's made these white nationalists rise up to begin with. I mean, this is the point that I'm trying to make to people. The more you go with this ridiculous hyperbole and this stupid rhetoric saying that white people are to blame for all of the world's problems and white people are responsible for all the ills of society is just going to encourage more people to rise up like this and join the ranks of the white nationalists. Why is this so hard to understand? All right, that's enough on the Trump stuff. The other thing I want to talk about, though, is that Nicholas Sarwark, Sarwark, he tweeted to uh, the chagrin of many, many people, because as you know, Nicholas Sarwark is the, uh, the chair of the Libertarian Party. He's a guy that I and Mark have both defended before because he came on the Lions of Liberty podcast and he talked about Ron Paul and he made some quasi disparaging marks about Ron Paul in regards to states' rights. Now, again, I defended him. I actually came down on his side and I'll link to that show. I'm not going to go into it here. But Nick recently went after Tom Woods in regards to Tom Woods' supporting of a Jeff Deist speech, wherein Jeff Dice had referenced blood and soil, which is an alt-right quasi-Nazi propagandist term. Now, Jeff was not talking about libertarians in regards to wanting blood or soil. Jeff was talking about what other people that are not libertarians want, but that libertarians ignore, saying that, well, you know, if you're not libertarian, you're interested in blood and soil, and maybe we need to be cognizant of that. Basically just saying people are more interested in family, they're interested in their property, etc., was it a bad choice of words on Jeff's part? I could see that argument. I'm not saying I necessarily support that exact statement. Do I feel like it crossed the line and it was trying to appeal to neo-Nazis to win them to the libertarian side? No, I do not. Because I don't think there's any sort of collaboration or overlap that can ever happen between the alt-right and libertarians where we would ever functionally work together. They simply are too far apart from our views. We do not support the majority of what they stand for because we're for everybody having their own property rights and their own private values and freedom of speech. Now then, he went after Tom Woods because Tom Woods went and did an entire podcast bashing left libertarians for going after Jeff Deist and basically just saying, this is not a big deal. What's the problem? Now, of course, Tom Woods is a big Murray Rothbard guy, as am I, as are most of you. Has Murray Rothbard had associations with people in the past that could be considered to have racist tendencies. That's possible. But what Sarwark did, he went out and said basically that Tom Woods had associated with Murray Rothbard and that his teachings were now somehow racist and that, and essentially by association, guilty by association, saying that Tom Woods was racist because he supported the teachings of Murray Rothbard. Many people got upset about this, myself among them. Most of the people in our forum are not on the side of, of Nick here. I actually just was getting into a tussle uh, with uh, Chris Spangle of We Are Libertarians because Nick had directly responded to him on a post that Chris had posted. And of course, I was weighing in as well, just saying that Nick was basically full of shit. And the way I positioned it was that you can't just say that, you know, you can't just go after a guy like Tom Woods who's done more for liberty to bring people into the libertarian movement, to talk about economics, to talk common sense, to cut through the, the shit that's going through the media and talk about the base core principles of libertarianism, which I'm sorry, are very egalitarian and live and let live, and then say that he's a racist because he supports Rothbard and discount the man and trash him as libertarian chair. And somehow expect us to be okay. And he keeps trying to say that, well, you know what? This big alt-right march just happened and this violence and I had to denounce it. And I say to that, bullshit. You don't throw out the baby with the bathwater because you're trying to cater to whatever evil is going through the media cycle at the time. You don't go in disrespect and try to demolish the reputation of a man who I've never seen do a single thing that wasn't kind and considerate for the most part. Uh, you know, he did go after Nick after Nick went after him, but you know, whatever. But again, a man who I've been listening to, to Tom Woods for years now, very polite, very considerate, very intelligent guy. The only time he takes umbrage is when people come after him and then he fights back. 
or if somebody's attacking libertarian values and then he fights back, doing far more to help libertarian cause than Nick or the National Libertarian Party is doing by putting forth chumps like Bill Weld and Gary Johnson and having Arvin uh, Vora say that all military members are murderers. So again, virtue signaling is never something that we should look to take part in. Whether you're libertarian, whether you're a leftist, whether you're conservative, virtue signaling is for the weak-minded. It's for people concerned with petty things and petty opinions of stupid people. And that's my word of wisdom for today. Boom, ding, ding, ding. All right, guys, thank you so much. I'm going to wrap the show on that. Again, follow us on social media at Lions of Liberty, at Brian McWilliams. Join our forum. Go and support us. Join the Lions Pride. Give us an iTunes review. All that good stuff. From me, Brian McWilliams, from the Lions of Liberty and from Electric Liberty Land, always stay plugged in to liberty.